Hello and welcome back to Avatar the Podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg, and we are so excited to go into The Promise Part 2 today. I am excited too. <laughs> you are excited too? Two. T-W-O. Two. So uh-huh. it's, it's, uh-huh. it's not my finest work, but you know, it's snowing again here and I'm so sick of snow. I, for anyone who doesn't know, I live in New England and we got slammed with a blizzard that had some wind drifts that were up to my waist. So I don't like snow anymore. I'm done with it. I wish I was a waterbender so I could just bend it away. Or firebender. These are the thoughts that I have while outside, buried uh-huh. in snow. Uh-huh. If I was a firebender right now, I could just melt it all. This would be great. And, and anyways, I digress. It's snowing now. I feel like meh because of it, but I'm so excited mm-hmm. that we're recording right now and that we get to talk more about this wonderful trilogy. And then the trilogy after that, and then the trilogy after that, and the trilogy, well, I'll go on for a while. Mm-hmm. About four? Four? Four oh, geez, times, I think? Yes. That's so many. <laughs> so exciting. I can't wait. Uh, we have reviews to read as well. We do. We're still working through our reviews, our backlog across the different countries. It is a pleasure to go through these. It's so fun to hear from everyone around the world who's been listening to our podcast. And our first one, which country does it come from, Greg? comes from Australia, not Germany. Like I've been saying to Acorn for the past 20 minutes, I was saying <laughs> Germany and I was thinking Australia. I don't know how I got those mixed up. Our first review comes from Benji Slumber. Benji! 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 Who writes, best podcast about Avatar The Last Airbender, period. And then a period after the word period. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> hey, I'm going to seem like a stalker at this point, but just bought a new device and now have Apple Podcasts. Can't wait to hear my two faves talk about my favorite show on my favorite new device. Big love in Flamio, Hotman, and then a heart eyes face. Benji. Benji. Benji uh, sometimes hangs out with us on Mondays and Fridays when I'm streaming on Twitch. So that's why I'm very excited to read about Benji. And Benji's also, I believe, tweeted at us. He's definitely emailed us. It's just like exciting. Mm -hmm. It's exciting when, I mean, exciting when you come hang out with me on twitch.tv slash Bruzerag on Monday and Friday evenings at 8 p.m. (laughs) Eastern Standard Time. But it's also exciting when you see a name that you recognize leaving your review. I don't know. It just like feels yeah. extra like lovey, you know? It does. Benji's definitely a friend of the podcast. Yeah. The next review that we have is from my good friend, it's J-Z-T-T-F-H. Or as I like to call them, Jay-Z. Jay-Z writes, Avatar, the podcast. Hi, I am Max from Australia. He says his name is Max, but I call him Jay-Z. I love you guys so much. I looked for some Avatar podcasts, but this is the best. These are my top five favorite Avatar characters. Iroh, Sokka, Zuko, Toph, Katara. Love you guys. Flamio Hotman. Thank wow, you so much. Wow, two Flamio Hotman in a row. There we go. Are we going to get another one? We'll find out. Nice. Our next review comes from... I feel like we were getting a lot of these recently. Yeah. Hang on. Uh, Perfect. I think, if I pronounce that correctly. Yeah. <laughs> I believe it's a silent... Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, they write best avatar podcast. I started watching this recently and almost managed to watch the series again, but Netflix lost rights to Aang and Korra in Australia. Cryface. 
Oh, I've been hearing a lot about that recently. A lot of people are really bummed that that happened. Yeah, I know. I'm glad that I bought the, yeah. the Blu-ray at this point because I will be able to just pop them in, even though it's an extra step. I don't really like having to turn on the PlayStation, which is my Netflix machine and mm-hmm. pop it in the, the discs, but whatever. <laughs> if we had any sponsors, this is where we would plug like NordVPN or whatever, right? Like oh, all maybe. those That's YouTubers. Yeah. <laughs> Because then you can change your country or whatever. I've never tried it, but I've never tried it either. I've known people, I believe, who have, but it's just the extra step uh-huh. is what it is. Uh-huh. Maybe one day, maybe, maybe. That, that will be our angle if we ever get a sponsor. One day we'll we'll jump into the 21st century with VPNs, but today is not that day. <laughs> nope. Uh, the next review and the final one from Australia, which also I'm gonna, just going to milk it a little bit, is uh, the end of our world tour before we return to the United States. Oh, I know. I know. But it's from Random Avatar Fan. And they write, book two in parentheses, Toph, is amazing. This is long, but please read it. Okay, I'm going to read it. I honestly love how you guys put so much work into all your episodes. And I eagerly await the new one each week, by the way. I am listening from Australia. And Greg, I like My Hero Academia too. Oh, and Acorn, I uh, kind of like Katara as well. And then it's like a kinda. blank. It's like a blank emoticon. Was that an was that an effort to like relate to me? Oh yeah, Acorn, <laughs> you love Katara. I mean, she's okay. Acorn, Katara's fine. <laughs> she has hair loopies. Uh huh. <laughs> I am editing this, and I am so sad that I can't watch Avatar anymore because it's not on Australian Netflix. Heart emoji, band aid, two sigh emojis, frowny face. Kind of angry face, frowny face, frowny face, crying face without the tears twice, and then two frowny faces. We know you all love our emojis. <laughs> and everyone's just like, it's not called that, Greg. It's called this. Well, I call them what I want to call them. <laughs> I edited this again, and I have an idea for the new trend. Toftastic or maybe Toffrific. Those are both <gasps> those are both top tier ideas. They are. Mm-hmm. Let's just let's make it a trifecta. There it is. Top tier, toftastic, and toffrific. There we go. There's so many ideas coming through. I love them. Absolutely. They're all angmazing. They're all angmazing. The classic. Everyone, thank <laughs> you so much for leaving all these five-star reviews. Acorn and I super appreciate them. We check them several times a day. I'm gonna put that mildly. And not exaggerate it so no one thinks I'm just on my phone all the time (laughs) refreshing it, which I definitely am not. I don't know why you would get that idea. It's weird. Thank you all again. Remember, if you want your five-star written review read right here on the podcast, all you got to do is leave a five-star review and write it. Why, Acorn? (laughs) Because if it's not written, we can't read it. And that's how the written language works. That's correct. (laughs) Thanks, Sokka. (laughs) You're welcome. What I'm here for. Uh, well, we're also here to talk about the promise part two. That's right. Or as we like to call it, a tale of two nations. That's right. Things are gonna heat up in this episode because we're gonna have some unresolved tensions building between the Earth Kingdom and the Fire Nation. That's right. We're also gonna have building tensions between everyone's favorite couple. Yep. But it it's just giving me the oogies just thinking about it. Let's get let's go. Let's go with the summer. Let's go. <laughs> Yep, we pick up where we last left Team Avatar on their way to seek the help of the Earth King. While Aang and Katara snuggle happily next to each other in Appa's saddle, Sokka sits near the back with Toph and Momo. Sokka says, ugh, in disgust. And Toph replies with, what? Everyone does it, as she continues to pick her nose. (laughs) I love Toph. I know. Sokka clarifies that he was talking about them, not her. But when he sees what she's doing, he says, oh yeah, her too. 
The gang flies over top school and their earthbender friend announces that she should get back to her students. Sokka decides to go with her, not because of Aang and Katara's oogies, of course. Mm -mm. He just wants to check out Toph's new school. Aang tells them to sit tight while he lands Appa, but Toph tells him not to bother. She can smell the trees around her school, which means they're close enough to the ground. She grabs Sokka's wrist and jumps out of the saddle. The two friends free fall through the air and slide down an earth ramp that Toph bends up to meet them. Sokka lands in a heap on the ground and complains that he tasted his own stomach when they were halfway down, but... All in all, it's not a bad way to travel. I love how we were just talking about this last episode. It's just we had that conversation about like how she's a little more comfortable just launching herself to Appa. And now we know why. It's because she has a descent plan. Yes, she does have a descent plan. And I like that little detail about her smelling the trees so she knows where they are and how close they are to the ground. As they walk through the forest to her school, Sokka asks Toph how she'd come up with the idea for her school. She tells him that teaching Aang made her realize how fulfilling teaching can be. She helped Aang reach his potential as an earthbender, as the avatar, and as a human being. She made a difference. When she discovered metal bending, she knew that she needed to share it with the world. Sokka rolls his eyes and says, who are you kidding? You just like telling people what to do. Toph grins and says, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) They get to the school and see Toph's three students hauling their belongings across the courtyard. Toph yells at them about trying to escape. Uh, She means give up on their training, of course. And the trio are surprised and delighted to see that Toph has brought someone with her. Toph introduces Sokka to Hotan, Penga, and the Dark One. Penga is immediately charmed and compliments Sokka on his biceps and tells him that he's her boyfriend starting now. Sokka is flattered and asks how old she is. She replies 16, and by that she means 9. <laughs> I see, Sokka says. Toph changes the topic back to her students' punishment for running away, but they tell her that they got kicked out. And here, finally, we're meeting Toph's students. Yes. Yes. I love her students. They're so fun. They're so fun. And they have like this kind of like they they fit into the world very well based off of their personalities. Like with um mm-hmm. with Penga, I get very heavy Meng vibes from the Fortune Teller episode. <gasps> That's what it was. I couldn't make that connection. It's just like he, the hard eyes and how like she instantly latches onto Sokka reminded me mm-hmm. of that moment where Meng was like, I'm in love with Aang now. And he's just my yep. forever friend, my forever everything. And it lasted like 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to marry him one day. Yes. The dark one. I cannot help when I read his lines to think of Greg Sipes as the voice who voiced Beast Boy from Teen Titans and this is a bunch of you know, yeah and also Young Justice, but he does a lot of other voices. That's just off the top of my head how I remember him. But I just hear that like that higher pitched, but like he can get down into like the lower register of his higher pitch and that um mm-hmm. vocal fry. I can hear that as this like miserable or like I not miserable, but he's very like brooding on purpose. Like he thinks mm-hmm. he's a brooding bad boy, therefore he's acting like a brooding bad boy. Yep. Whereas yep. Zuko doesn't oh have God. to try. Zuko just does it. <laughs> Zuko was born in the brood. Yes. And of course Hotan, who is just like so worried all the time. I feel so bad for him. It's a really fun dynamic to have those three types of personalities in one place. Yes. Also, I learned a fun fact about Penga's name. Oh, yeah? Apparently in Norwegian, Penga is a slang word for money, which considering her fancy robes, this kind of fits the economic status of her family. And she also has cloud motifs on her clothing. And in Chinese culture, clouds usually represent good luck and fortune. 
They're all kind of, now that you said that, and I'm kind of staring at this panel of the three of them, they're all kind of like reminiscent of different personality traits that Toph has as well. You know, I did consider that. It's almost like Penga represents her rich family background and the kind of girl she could have been if she was more into material things. Mm -hmm. And then the dark one, absolutely. It's that like brooding, kind of pessimistic, negative outlook. Yeah. And for Hotan, I don't know. I don't see his top as like being very worrying. What are your thoughts there? I don't know. I'm trying to like peg that, but two out of three, that's got to be on purpose. I just can't like figure because neither you nor I, and I don't think anyone in, in Avatar considers Toph to ever be really... No, you know what? Now that I'm talking, let me stop myself. It's not the worrisome so much as it is the maybe the self-image aspect because we did have a couple of episodes and maybe in the comic as well where Toph wasn't as confident as she usually is, specifically on the girls' night out or girls' day out story. Mm. So maybe it's kind of pulling from there that self-doubt, let's say. Yeah. Also the stature. I mean, Hotan's very... Very tall and strong. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And yeah, where her personality is very big and strong as well. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Tough. On the inside, Toph's like seven feet tall and like super muscly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's really cool, though. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I absolutely do see the connection between their individual personalities and Toph's, which makes sense with her being their teacher, right? And the Dark One's hair is kind of like Toph's too, a little bit. In the bangs, yeah. The, yeah, the bangs and the how they part. It's kind of cool to see that. Maybe that's why she picked them. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's another reason. I don't know if we'll ever find out. <laughs> Sorry, foreshadowing. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it's kind of a big deal that they've been kicked out of their own school. Yeah. And when they get inside, we find out that there's a firebending teacher there. And he is teaching his, quote unquote, disciples of Kunio, who are practicing fire form. Toph demands that they get out, and the instructor is indignant. Who dares disturb Master Kunio's firebending dojo, he says. This is the Beifong Metal Bending Academy, Toph shouts, and earthbends the floor under their feet. Master Kunio tells them that now that the Fire Lord has returned to his senses and withdrawn his support for the Harmony Restoration Movement, he has come back to claim his dojo. Toph insists that the school is hers and the first metal bending academy in the world, to which Master Kunio snickers. Everyone knows that metal bending doesn't exist. Toph bends a spear around his head and the two are about to go into a full-blown battle when Sokka stops them. He proposes they have a match to the sit. Whichever team can force a member of the other team to sit down first wins. The firebenders should come back in three days to have the match. Master Kunio grumbles, but agrees. As they all leave the academy, Sokka whispers to Toph that she shouldn't worry. Three days of intensive training should get her students into shape. But then Kunio's disciples perform what they call the Kunio salute, where they leap onto each other's shoulders in a totem and blast multiple streams of fire while saying, Beware enemies of Kunio, for we shall roast you in the flames of your own defeat. After seeing this, Sokka agrees with Hotan's constant fear. They're doomed. <laughs> You're doomed. I can just hear that Jack DeSena delivery. <laughs> You're doomed. You're all doomed. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> It's quite frightening. It's um, It's been a really, really long time since I've seen The Karate Kid, but I'm getting like vibes of that or yep. more recently, what is it, Cobra Kai on Netflix? I was just going to say for Cunho, I was thinking his voice might be Martin Cove, who was the evil sensei, quote unquote, from The Karate mm-hmm. Kid, who was Billy Zapka's from Cobra Kai and also Karate Kid. 
who is his yep. um, sensei as well. So I was getting that kind of like grizzled kind of voice off of him. Even though he looks kind of like preppy, I think he has like a deeper kind of voice. He's not preppy. He looks kind of like very well taken care of. Like he looks like he knows mm-hmm. how to like take a nice hot soak in a tub and treat himself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. I can see that too. That's a really great voice acting choice. Yeah. Across the continent, Aang and Katara reach Ba Sing Se. Aang tells Appa to find a nice quiet hill to spend the night on. He'll use his bison whistle to call him after their meeting with the Earth King. He and Katara then glide down the streets and are about to find their way to Iroh's tea shop when two girls stop them. They're wearing robes with Aang's face embroidered on the fronts and introduce themselves as Hei Wan and Wan Yi, the co-presidents and co-founders of the official Avatar Aang fan club. Aang is delighted by this, even though Katara looks completely unimpressed. When Aang introduces her as his girlfriend, Wan Yi tells her that she's honored to meet Avatar Aang's first girlfriend. Katara asks what she means by first, and the girl smiles fiercely at her. (laughs) Which, in a weird way, kind of reminded me of that one scene from Avengers where it's like, we both know who's in charge here. Yeah. You know? It's me, right? Of course it's you. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. I definitely got that kind of vibe, too. When I first read it, I thought it was like a threat. I was like, you're going to try to kill Katara? And then she yeah, has that little right? like, smirk. And I was like, oh, geez, it's not going to go well. And we all know and we all remember that Katara doesn't take too well to these Aang fan clubs anyways. Like we first saw in mm-hmm. uh, the Warriors of Kyoshi. But now that they're actually an item and she's like allowed herself to become emotionally and romantically attached to Aang. Now I'm just feeling like that personality trait is going to kick into overdrive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She actually has reason to be territorial. Right. Yes. As opposed to before where she felt it, but wasn't quite sure why. Mm-hmm. And then it was more of like a advice from a friend kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Aang, I don't think you should be spending this much time with your fan club. We have things to do. <laughs> he should probably save the world. <laughs> yep. Well, Katara steers Aang away, saying they need to find a place to stay. And Heiwan suggests they come stay with them at the clubhouse. They've even decorated it to look like the Western Air Temple. And it's funny because they did and they just made everything upside down on the exterior. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, The clubhouse, as it turns out, only sort of looks like the Western Air Temple. It's a rundown shack with a tapestry of the airbending symbol hanging in front and these like parasol-shaped planters decorating the roof and awning. (laughs) Very ramshackle, but, you know, A for effort. Yeah, A for effort. (laughs) I just noticed this. The flag or the tapestry with the airbender icon on it has a giant rip on it. (laughs) Yes. I wonder where they got it. Either they they got it from somewhere, maybe like one of those merchants who peddles like Air Nomad stuff, paraphernalia. Oh, maybe. Or... They found this old tapestry and they just painted the air symbol sign on it. That's what I think. Because it's not like very yeah. well painted. It's just very simple, mm-hmm. right? You have like the the yellowish off-white beige color. And then you just have like a slightly darker three swirls that look painted on. I think it's they made it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. My question is, how did they get this house? Like, it's an actual house on a plot of land. Like, who who owns this? I think it was abandoned. And they just were like, this is ours now. Like, think about, like, as a kid, and, I mean, this was quite a while for me anyways, and you just, like, Mm -hmm. saw, like, old houses and stuff, and you're just like, what's in there? What's going on in there? I think they just, like, took it over. I think they're like, there's no one in here. This is gone. Look at it. It's blatantly abandoned. So they're just like, this is our clubhouse now. Tetanus and all. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm sure. 
I guess the adult in me is like, who's taking care of the property costs? Someone must own it. Someone's going to come around and say like, hey, kids, get out of my house. The bank. Get off my property. The bank owns it. <laughs> Probably. And they don't care about it until it sells. <laughs> they won't check. <laughs> hey, Juan, Charlie asks if Aang likes it, and he tells her that he does, and he's flattered. He grabs Katara's arm and pulls her toward the clubhouse to check it out. Over in the Fire Nation, Zuko continues to speak to his father in prison. Ozai asks Zuko if he remembers their family vacations on Ember Island. He tells the story of a time when Zuko was three and rescued a turtle crab from a hungry hawk. Even then, he possessed an odd affinity for the weak. Ozai noticed that Zuko hesitated when the little boy realized that by saving the turtle crab, he was condemning the hawk to starve. Before Zuko could make a decision, a giant wave washed over him and carried him out into the ocean. Ozai dove in to save him, and Zuko spent the rest of the day in his mother's arms, vomiting seawater. An older Zuko responds to the story in the prison by saying he doesn't see how an old family memory relates to the advice he seeks about being able to sleep peacefully in spite of the pressures of the throne. But Ozai replies that he is tired, and perhaps they will continue their conversation tomorrow. And bring more oh, tea. <laughs> yeah, bring more tea. <laughs> Just watching the manipulation is so uncomfortable for me. I know we yeah. talked about this last episode, but I really do keep getting this feeling that even though he's behind bars, Ozai is just as dangerous as he's always been. So I'll put it to you this way, too. We all know how easy it was for Iroh to break out. Yeah. It's just as easy for Ozai to break out. Iroh only took that long because he had to get back in shape, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like he was not he was in the kind of fighting shape. We saw him take care of himself in book one as well as a little bit in book two, but like he had to get into fighting shape. And Ozai is just, as we saw at the end of book three, when he ripped off or burned off his shirt, just always in fighting shape. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He doesn't let himself go. So yeah, like that, I think that fear is very justified where there's almost nothing stopping him from just reaching out and grabbing Zuko and burning him again. Well, he doesn't have the ability to like fire bend, but, but you're right. Like, there isn't really much space between him and Zuko between the bars. And if you remember in the Lost Adventures comic that we recently went over, there was even a story about Ozai supporters and the people who wanted to bring Ozai back to the throne, yeah. back into rule. So who's who's to say that there isn't someone working in this prison who feels the same way and could eventually help him escape? That just gave me kind of spoilers for Korra. I'm just going to say a name and the vibes it gives me, and that's how I'm going to talk about it. It gives me Amon vibes with all like the supporters Ooh. that could be lying in wait. Mm-hmm. Wow. And yep. I also definitely 110% forgot that Aang took away his firebending, even though that was the whole point of the third choice. <laughs> I'm saying uh-huh. it. I'm admitting it to it. I'm owning it. But I'm still like just scared that he's going to do something. Look at him. Mm-hmm. He's so confident in a cell. His posture is perfect. He's smiling. He's recanting old tales from their past as if it's nothing, as if it's dinner with a family member. Mm-hmm. Even though he looks like a drowned rat a little bit, he still has that like... That's just his face. He always looks like confidence. a drowned rat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, his hair is like falling yeah, over right. his yep. face and stuff. But yeah, no, he has that Ozai poise that he's always had. Yeah, it's, it's unsettling whenever an enemy is defeated 
and they're not acting like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what it is. Yeah. We talked about this last episode, but Yang, the writer, worked very closely with Brian and Mike on the story, which is why, as we were saying, it feels canon. It feels yeah. very real and like very closely tied to the animated show. Well, apparently, one of the things that he also consulted with them specifically on is this relationship between Zuko and Ozai. Oh, I would imagine. So you can't just pull this out of nowhere this has to come from like the source of avatar Mm -hmm. and it feels it and it's it's just delicious it's very good yeah it feels like a ticking time bomb it does i can't wait for it to explode is that weird to say i just really can't (laughs) no (laughs) no it is not i can't wait but regardless of what's going to happen, I am looking forward to part three so much yes. because just in general, the storytelling is so good and I'm loving all of these new dynamics and new parts of the world. So whatever they give us, I'm I'm on board. Mm, new characters as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Speaking of new characters, back at Toph's Metal Bending Academy, Hotan, Panga, and the Dark One practice metal bending, but they can't get their metal coins to budge one bit. Hotan complains about not being able to concentrate, knowing that doom is coming in two days, and the other two bicker with him. Outside the room, Sokka asks Toph if those three were really the most qualified students she could find. It wasn't her, Toph explains. It was her space bracelet. As Sokka laments the loss of his space sword, Toph goes on to explain that about a year ago, she noticed that every now and then when she was in public, her bracelet would shiver the tiniest bit. It was so small that she could only feel it when she was paying attention. Eventually, though, she figured out that it would happen when someone around her got super emotional. So she had an idea. Maybe those people who nudged her bracelet could also become metal benders. She started recruiting them to her school. I have a little bit of trivia for this part. Kind of for the earlier part, but I think it goes perfectly here. When I was reading this, I was like, wow, kind of like the Green Lantern rings. That's really interesting. It reacts to emotion. And then I was reading when I was doing some research, I learned that Yang was reading Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run, which was from, if I remember correctly, the late 2000s, maybe 2010s, where you had all of Mm -hmm. a sudden all these different Lantern Corps. You had green, yellow, blue, orange, red, so on and so forth. And each one of them represents a different emotion. So green is willpower. It's not an emotion, but it kind of is. Uh, Yellow is fear. Red is anger. So you have these three characters who make this space rock kind of move by itself whenever they're around based off of their emotional state. That being rage, fear, and greed. Penga is greed. Fear is (gasps) Hotan. And rage is the dark one as much as he would love for us to say that i don't think he's really that rageful but you know whatever it's it's the inner rage it's the inner rage that's right that's right so yang admitted that he was probably subconsciously influenced by jeff john's green lantern comics so that made like that is so cool it's really cool i get very excited when i get to talk about dc comics and stuff (laughs) during avatar so i get like all like and my heart races so if that made sense, <laughs> awesome. If it didn't, I'm so sorry, everyone. No, that that's so cool. Green Lantern is one of the comics I never really like got too much into or knew. I am a Marvel person, yeah. personally. Yeah, sorry. but I do know enough about the Green Lantern series to know that like the rings were the whole concept, and you were chosen and all that stuff. So. I do find it really interesting that those three emotions are what we were picking out about Toph's personality yeah. and how it is kind of like a, a connection there. So it worked out. You yeah. know, it's probably fate that he was reading them at that time and got inspired in that way because it, it feels like it works. It does. It does. It's really cool. And it's a nice little 
thing to add to like a dangling thread kind of like I don't think anyone's really concerned about the space rock that Toph got. But in case you were wondering what its point was, because she's had it since book three, this is what it did. Mm -hmm. This is how it helped progress the world of Avatar. Yep. So cool. Also, a little note about the background in this part of the comic. (laughs) Yang shows these very vivid, expressive motivations for the background. Like on the posters in the Academy, the Chinese translates to motivations like, do you need a beating? (laughs) (laughs) And she's like so tough. It is. She calls her students lily livers. Yeah. And it was very like rough and tough with them. So I love that those are the motivations she chose for her, her school. I love how they keep the idea that she was originally supposed to be the boulder, essentially. Yeah. So like she's a drill sergeant for these poor kids. And she's acting like she is seven foot one and 250 pounds of pure muscle. Yeah. But really, she's like, what, five foot something? Yeah, five foot one or something. If that, yeah. <laughs> I just love <laughs> yeah, it. It's so good. Well, at this point in the story, we do find out how she met Hotan Panga and the Dark One. Apparently, she met Hotan in a ramen shop after just finding a spider wasp in his soup and he's freaking out about it. Panga was in a marketplace arguing over shoes with one of her family's servants. And the dark one was aggressively people watching at a street corner. In each of these situations, their heightened emotions were what made Toph's bracelet tingle, as she says. And in the frames, you can kind of see her in the background holding her arm up and like looking at the bracelet on her arm. Yeah, that's right. It almost looks like she's flexing or something. Yes, (laughs) she probably is too. (laughs) Probably natural. Yeah. Sakura reflects on how Katara first learned she was a waterbender because ice would crack whenever she got super emotional, which we saw in the first episode. Mm. Toph opens the door and says that there is just one problem with finding students who get super emotional in public. The friends look into the room at the three students shouting and arguing like crazy people. Toph notes that the whole thing is just a theory. A game. An avatar theory. Sorry, I was watching game theory and movie theory today. So that's whenever someone says, that's just a theory. And then there's a pause and it goes, a game theory. Oh my gosh. Anyone who watches that YouTube channel will probably be like, oh, Greg, what are you doing? (laughs) I mean, I think we say that a lot. Oh, Greg. That's fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) None of Toph's students have been able to move even the smallest piece of metal. Sokka gets an idea and tells Toph that what this school has needed was him. Sokka, the motivational bender. If Toph just explains the basics of metal bending to him, she can leave the rest up to him. So people say that there are some Sokka fans that want Sokka to be a bender. And he's a bender of two different kinds of things. Sword bending and now motivational bending. That's right. And what a gifted guy. (laughs) (laughs) What a gifted guy indeed. If he gets two more different kind of bendings, he'll be an avatar. Oh, my God. (laughs) Just saying. Uh huh. For real this time, not just some random Earth Kingdom place that thinks he yeah. is a real play, a real avatar of made up elements. What would that make him? The Fovatar? <laughs> that makes it sound like he's afraid. <laughs> the Fove. The uh, Fovatar. The Mockatar? I don't know. We'll we'll workshop this. Yeah, we'll yeah. workshop it. But the first lesson doesn't go as Sokka planned. He puts the students into a strong stance and tells them to let their gut furnace refine their senses. He tells them to close their eyes and feel the earth around them. Then feel the metal within that earth and stop the coins that are now flying at their heads. He throws the coins at them, but they collide with each of the students' faces and they're no closer to becoming metal benders because they were not able to stop them. 
he wears this headband, which is like, it's kind of funny that he's wearing a headband for no reason. Like Top's not wearing a headband. He's, he just has this view of if you're motivational, you have to wear a headband. There are two Chinese characters written on it and they literally mean add fuel. <laughs> add fuel. Add fuel. ADD. <laughs> <laughs> add more fuel. Add more fuel. Oh my gosh. So it's kind of funny that he says things like feel your gut heat up like a furnace because he's he thinks mm-hmm. he's adding fuel. So whatever you're feeling, add more to it. Add fuel. Yep. Like a constant reminder every time they look at his face. Yeah. Just written on his forehead. Literally. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, it's not quite enough because the students have welts on their head now rather than any indication or evidence or proof of metal bending. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess... The fact that they exist proves that they can't metal bend because if they could, they wouldn't have the welts in the first place. That's how <laughs> logic in my brain works. <laughs> I'm trying to follow it. Don't. You'll hurt yourself. <laughs> or is it that they don't get welts because they're actually metal benders and the metal can't harm them? I don't know if it works like that. I don't know if it works. However, you were saying. I don't know either. Don't. Yeah. Never follow my logic. I'm getting hurt following my logic. Never mind it. External source. (laughs) That's okay. Let's jump back over to the Earth Kingdom. Yes. We find Aang and Katara in the official Avatar Aang fan club's clubhouse. Aang is giving the girls a demonstration of his airbending tricks. He shows them the air scooter along with a new technique he's been working on where he creates these little marbles of air, which he then turns into individual scooters. The girls are enchanted and keep whispering to each other about how dreamy Avatar Aang is, while Katara sits dejectedly across the room. Heiwan brings someone new over to Aang and introduces her as Yi Li, another co-president and co-founder of the Avatar Aang fan club. Aang asks how many co-presidents and co-founders there are, and all of the girls raise their hands. <laughs> Similar to logic not working. I don't, I, I don't think that works, logically. It's very, like, innocent, right? So they all formed this club. And it's actually kind of admirable. No one is higher than the other in this club. Mm-hmm. They made it super fair. Which just makes me think there was this argument that happened where they were like, well, I want to be a founder. No, I want to be a founder. And someone's like, we're all founders. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. fine. They probably take turns making decisions for the club and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. I like this little club. Well, Yi Lee shows Aang something that she bought off of a traveling merchant a couple years ago. It's a pan flute-like instrument, and she believes it once belonged to the air nomads. Aang is actually excited to see it because he tells them, yes, it's an airbender flute. Monkey Yatso even used to have one just like it. He proceeds to play it, and the girls begin dancing. With Momo. Momo's in there dancing. So cute. Momo's right at home. Yes. And this flute, actually, so it is a pan flute. So if you ever seen, like, you know, Greek mythology with pan, mm. The goat person playing a pan flute. It's like these little reeds that are tied together. This particular type of flute is based on the real world Chinese instrument called the Pai Xiao, I think. Again, I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly, but Pai Xiao, which again, I think is really cool because as we've talked about multiple times at this point, I love all of the real world inspiration that this series has pulled from. And I think Like we said last episode, I think that's what makes this feel more canon than the other comics do because there continues to be these inspirations from the real world. Yeah, I'd like to think that they kind of write it and then they go, well, where can we where can we put this in? Right. Like we have a gift for Aang from his past. All right. What can it be? Where where can we draw from in the real world that already exists? And it just works like Yang did a really good job, not only with consulting Bryke 
but with just going off and picking out what we, at least you and I, Acorn, really appreciated about Avatar Last Airbender and continue that. And not just in mm-hmm. one facet, right? Like, I think we all really love the characters and the head cannons and, you know, a lot of the story elements. But I think subconsciously, at least, we all really appreciate, like you said, these little details. And mm-hmm. I w- I've been doing a lot of thinking about this over the past couple of weeks when we finished reading like the little lost adventures and, you know, all that. Those were great, but that was literally half of what we liked about Avatar. Mm-hmm. And this kind of completes the whole thing. And you don't realize how important this is, how important real world culture and identity is in Avatar The Last Airbender until it's gone or it's omitted. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah, feels absolutely. shallow, you know? Which sadly happens a lot, you know? Like yeah. oftentimes with sequels to movies or or people picking up on an existing franchise and like making a spinoff story about it, usually yeah. it's missing something. And oftentimes it feels like it's missing the heart yeah. of the story, which... Usually if you trace it back, it's something to do with the characters, motivations or desires or the culture of the world or something that's like baked into the story that's not obvious. So people who are just like, you know, going after the the world or the franchise, they tend to miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. And even adapting from one format to another, from like a comic to an animated format or animated to live action. If you don't have the original creators involved in some way, nine times out of 10, it feels hollow and it feels not what it was. Mm-hmm. We're looking at you, Netflix. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, at this point, they're having a really great time in the fan club. They All are. the girls are dancing. Momo has been kind of forced to be a dance partner with one of the girls. Aang's having a great time. But Katara, meanwhile, she's she's not really having a good time. She's a little irritated. She finally gets up from her spot on the wall and tells Aang that they should probably get going to meet the Earth King. That's kind of the reason that they're there. They say goodbye to the girls and leave. Katara is sullen and quiet, but Aang doesn't really notice. And even when she makes a barbed comment about he certainly seemed to enjoy those girls' attention, he reflects on how, even though it's just a silly fan club, for a moment there, almost felt like he was home again with his people. He tells Katara, thank you for agreeing to stay there for the night. It meant the world to him. And Katara realizes what a jerk she was being. Yeah, she does not feel good about herself after that. <laughs> She's just like, oh, nope. damn. Which, because you you mentioned the Warriors of Kyoshi, I do think she was actually having this like... Flashback? Yeah, like a flashback to that time and how it was just like very silly and unproductive. And like, it was just kind of a waste of their time. But this time around, it actually was really meaningful for Aang because of how much it represented his memories of home and his people. And you know what actually makes this even more emotionally devastating to me? What? Is this happened after that story in The Lost Adventures where he goes to the mountains and he seeks out that stupa. Oh, where yeah. Supposedly like the, the air nomads yeah. were and he finds out it wasn't. I don't think he ever told his friends. Right? Because at the end of the story... Oh, that makes... it. Why'd you have to make it sadder, Acorn? I know! Oh, I know! So meanwhile, Aang's like, oh my god, I actually... So it's not actually my people. It's not actually hidden air nomads, but like the culture is there. The the feeling and the heart is there. And I feel so happy to be back in this kind of environment. It's almost like 
it's the next best thing by like yeah. leaps and bounds. Yes. But it's like he gets that nostalgia that reminds him of home just playing that pan flute and, and having everyone mm-hmm. dance around him and be surrounded by like friends and good vibes. Yeah. yeah. Which I didn't realize what this was building to until I got to book three. So I can't wait to talk about yeah. that when we get there. So Katara, again, realizes what a jerk she was being. And she tells Aang to not thank her. She doesn't deserve it. And at that point, they just keep walking down the street on their way to see the Earth King. Back in the Fire Nation, Zuko returns to his father's prison cell the next day with another pot of tea. He tells his father that he stayed up all night thinking about what he said. When he was a boy, he'd been overwhelmed by the circumstances because he couldn't decide whose side to take. But he realizes now that he should have sided with the Hawk. It was strong and noble, much like the Fire Nation. It had earned its meal. Zuko exclaims that he's already done that, and yet he still can't sleep. Ozai agrees that Zuko's sleeplessness does stem from his inability to choose sides, but he's wrong about the hawk. There is no right or wrong apart from what someone decides. Who they choose to defend deserves to be defended simply because they chose them. Zuko is the Fire Lord. What Zuko chooses is, by definition, right. And that's the slippery slope in which Ozai lives. I was going to say, (laughs) oh my goodness. It's like, I'm the Fire Lord. I am all that is and will ever be in the Fire Nation. If I say red is green, guess what? Red is green. That is so frightening to hear basically. Because basically what he's saying is there is no right or wrong. What's right is what you decide. Yes. Because you're in a position of power. Yeah. Like, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. Yep. Thankfully, though, Zuko argues that right and wrong are bigger than he and his father, or even the Avatar. Zuko believes that he, Aang, and the Earth King will be able to come close to what's right by working together. But Ozai smirks and says he's heard a rumor of this little meeting. Ozai cautions Zuko that the Earth King has no reason not to strike out against the remaining Fire Nation colonials after years of being humiliated by their mighty nation. As the Fire Lord, Zuko should defend Yudao ferociously. Zuko disagrees and says he's going to wait. His patience will be rewarded with a peaceful resolution for everyone. Ozai orders Zuko to leave, saying that he sickens him. When Zuko leaves the prison, Suki sees him from a parapet. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even though Zuko has a really terrible relationship with his father, even though he sees his father as like a bad guy and not someone to be trusted, there is something to say about the influence that parents have over children. Even though Zuko consciously thinks, I can't trust my father, subconsciously, I think the words still get through. And we're going to see yeah. how. What Ozai told him, what Ozai is advising him does kind of sink in to some extent. There's also like, like it's, I, I think I'm maybe I'm being naive and stepping into Zuko's shoes here a bit too, but like even a, a villain can offer good advice. And I think that's what Zuko is trying to get, but he can't help mm-hmm. but be almost like indoctrinated by his father and his father's words. Yeah. He's being influenced. Yeah. Yeah. And like he's, he's doing his best to stand his ground and basically like stay where he has wound up, which is like, you know, we're in this together. It's not just the fire nation. There's unity and collaboration and all the stuff that he learned with his time with Aang. But it's almost like, I don't know, it kind of comes across as a little boy fighting with his parents and the parents quote unquote, know better. 
So it's like, yeah, like it, it's definitely it's that. tough for him. Yeah, it, it's tough in any one of those scenarios. It's like, I think one of the more popular ones, at least here in the States, is like, if you could relive high school, you would do it all over again because you, you learn your lesson and you wouldn't be the person you were. But chances are, and I think there's some stories that are written about this, you get to be in high school again and you literally revert to the person that you were in high school because it's not just you, mm-hmm. it's the environment in which you are in your response to that environment. And it's very difficult to break out of that. Or even like if you go to a high school reunion, I haven't been to like the past two, but if you do, you revert to who you were then because it's just like that instinct almost. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening to Zuko here is he's trying to fight against his father. He's trying to remind himself that like he's the bad guy. He should not be trusted just like you said, but he can't help but like still kind of want his father's approval. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it makes sense because he was he went on for much longer trying to get his father's approval than he has been trying to break free of his father's influence. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's going off natural. of what you were just saying. Yeah, it's you spend more time acting one way. You're going to more naturally fall into that right. kind of behavior. Old yeah. habits die hard. Exactly. Yep. There you go. Yep. Even after another day, Toph's students haven't made any progress. No matter how perfect their horse stances are or how perfect their form is, the metal doesn't budge. Sokka tells Toph he has an idea, and the two of them go outside. He tells Toph that if her bracelet budged when her students were emotional, then it stands to reason that the students should be able to metal bend if they get them super mega uber emotional. All they have to do is find each student's trigger point. Hotun's is obviously his sense of doom. Penga's is shoes, her material possessions. And Toph reveals that the Dark One hates his name more than anything else in the world. She once told the Dark One that she wouldn't share his name with anyone, but agrees to tell Sokka so he can use it for training. Eugene. Just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. (laughs) Oh... They then go below the school to a bunker of Fire Nation armor that Kunio had gotten made in kid sizes. A little horrifying, as an aside. Mm-hmm. And Sokka asks Toph to create something similar to what she made in the cabin of the Fire Nation airship during the final battle with Ozai. He pulls out a scroll with schematics and Toph reminds him for the hundredth time that she's blind. So he describes the designs to her and after some time and effort, Sokka exclaims that Toph has outdone herself. Just call me the greatest earthbender of all time, Toph replies, then says, no, really, she's being serious. <laughs> He's like, Haha, yeah, Toph. No, say that right now. <laughs> yep. Sokka places his hand on her shoulder and tells her solemnly that she's the greatest earthbender of all time. Toph grins. Gee, thanks, Sokka. That's so sweet of you. You didn't have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love Toph. I love her so much, too. I still continue to love Toph. I have a feeling I'm going to love her even in Takora. I just have a feeling. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I was watching Korra. Again, I haven't finished it. I only watched maybe the first like season or two. I was waiting for Toph and the older gang the whole time. Yeah. Once you realize what's going to happen in Korra and what you are going to be seeing, you just can't help but say like, who's next? What about this guy? What about this person? What about her? What about him? Mm -hmm. What about them? Ah, I can't wait. More, more, more. More. (laughs) (laughs) Feel like Kylo Ren. More. Just more. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, but we are still many, many comics away. So yeah. we're going to have to hold tight. Mm-hmm. In the Earth Kingdom, Corey and a bunch of earth and firebenders train outside in an empty field. They practice combining techniques to create a defensive earthen barrier that the firebenders can attack over. 
When they successfully incinerate a line of straw dummies, Corey tells them that their training is over and they'll meet again in the same place tomorrow morning. Someone calls her name and she looks toward the line of trees and sees Sneers, one of the freedom fighters. She runs into his arms and they kiss. Sneers asks if she's really been missing their date so she can train with firebenders. Corey corrects him, saying she's been training with her cousins and only two of them are firebenders. They have to train in order to be ready to defend Yu Dao. Didn't he hear the protesters outside the city wall a couple days ago? When Sneers uncomfortably looks away, she asks if he was a part of that. He admits that they were leading that and Corey pushes him away from her. Sneers tries to explain that Yu Dao is a Fire Nation colony and that Corey has to choose. Is she Earth Kingdom or Fire Nation? Corey repeats what she said in front of Aang and Katara, saying she chooses to recognize her earthbending, her Fire Nation citizenship, and her home of Yu Dao. She then turns to leave, telling Sneers that it's his turn to choose. Does he want to follow Smellerby or does he want to be with Corey? A fun little tidbit about the art really quickly. Mm-hmm. Guri Hiru, who is the artist, it's, it's the same writing and artist team throughout all three of these, uh, was under the impression that Sneers was actually a woman until oh, yeah. this page. <laughs> and I could kind of see that in the um, in book one. Because there's a point where I was like, Sneers, yeah, him. And then I was like writing while looking at the comic. And I was like, wait, am I just assuming a gender right now? And I had to like go deep into the wiki and figure out, no, Sneers is actually male. So it Mm -hmm. seems like also the artist was a bit confused about (laughs) Sneers' gender. Yep. When I found that too, I saw so many comments of fans who were like, yeah, okay, good. It wasn't just me. Yeah. I had to look it up. And to be fair, I forgot that Sneers did exist because we only saw him in book one up until now. So if you were confused, if you were wondering, you weren't the only one. Yep, exactly. So funny. And while we're on the topic of Sneers, you know, we haven't seen him in so long, which means he didn't theoretically leave his home where he used to live with the Freedom Fighters like Smellerby and Longshot and Jet did. You know, they went to Boston right. say. Yeah. So because of that, it seems like he didn't really develop a more nuanced or broad worldview like Smellerby and Longshot did. Yeah. So he hasn't really gone through that metamorphosis. And for him, it's still very much like us and them, the Fire Nation and us. We're the victims. They're the oppressors. And so for him to give her that kind of ultimatum, I mean, it really shows that his his worldview is still kind of stuck, even though his girlfriend is literally an earthbender yeah. who has Fire Nation citizenship mm-hmm. and they live in a town that's very, very diverse and mixed. So he has some learning to do in this episode or this comic. I like that he hasn't learned yet, though, because it throws us right back into book one and the 100 year war and this kind mm-hmm. of reminder of the way things were. Because we're so used to how they are now with Team Avatar. And yeah, we're getting mm-hmm. a lot of gray area, but it's a nice reminder that there are still people in this world that have this black and white view of everything and not everything is gray to them yet. Exactly. Yeah. And Yang, the writer, even had a something to say about this. He said, Sneers' relationship with Corey is what happens when ideology comes up against flesh and blood human beings. Often the ideology has to give way. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Also, while we're here, I want to talk a little bit about Corey because obviously she just said, I'm not just one thing. Well, we can actually visually see that in her outfit. If no one realized, which I'm pretty sure most people have, it's very obvious and a really cool detail. The clothes that Corey wears is a combination of red and green, reflecting her mixed heritage as an Earth Kingdom citizen as well as a Fire Nation citizen. So I love that like little nod to her mixed heritage. 
I like how, and I'm going to say fashion terms now, and I want everyone to know I 110% have no idea what I'm talking about when I'm talking about fashion, but I'm going to say this. (laughs) Okay, noted. It's very, it's clashing, like the color scheme on her. Like this outfit does not match. And I like that because of what's going on in the events around her. Like when you walk, look at mm-hmm. her, the red really stands out and the green is very understated, but you kind of look from her waist down and she has that red sash and she has like the traditional, almost like toff like kind of outfit. And it just doesn't look good, but you know, it's messy. When you mix heritage in this way, it can get messy. It's not always going to like mesh perfectly. And I think that this is a good visual representation of that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, also, I don't think she cares about fashion either. Just kind of like what we've learned about Corey. <laughs> I don't think she's worried about if her outfit matches too, too much. I think she wants to just kind of like do right by both her parents. Yeah. She's very much the person who's like, these are my clothes. Deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. She's not like May, for example, who is always like mm-hmm. wearing the most fashionable thing and makes it look effortless. At least that's how I view her effort. Again, (laughs) I know nothing about fashion. Zero things. Mm -hmm. But that's just my interpretation. But I like visually how like Corey clashes quite a bit and it just works for the theme of The Promise. Mm -hmm. It also is like a nice visual reminder that as of now, there isn't a mixed style. Yes. It's either pieces from one place or the other. And she's so trying you're to right. make it too. Oh my God. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she's she's a, a trendsetter almost. Yeah. She's combining the clothing styles of these two places into one. And yeah, it's kind of it clashes a little bit. It looks kind of weird, but it's the very first example of someone trying to merge aspects of two cultures into one outfit. I admire her so much more after this conversation. Me too. She's so yeah, cool. as a character, she's she's a little less developed. Um, she's kind of like one dimensional in the fact that she's so focused on justice and freedom of yeah. her people and, and that sort of thing. I, I kind of hope that we see her more in the future so we can get more about her character. Me too. Well, at this point, we're going to hop over to the Palace of Ba Sing Se, where Aang and Katara finally have their audience before King Kue. The king is thrilled to see them and thanks Aang for his help in removing the Fire Nation citizens from the Yudao colony. Katara admits that Yudao is actually why they're there. They'd like to set up a meeting between King Kue and Fire Lord Zuko. The colony of Yudao is still there. For now, Aang adds, he tells the king that he's on his side and also wants the people of the Fire Nation to be removed from the Earth Kingdom where they don't belong. And that with a little convincing, Fire Lord Zuko will surely, and at this point, Katar interrupts, saying that the Fire Lord has legitimate concerns about the colonials that still live there. They all need to sit down and talk through their options. There could be something that they've missed. Kue is very like uncharacteristically hard-headed in this book. I was kind of curious to know how he came back to the throne because this is after his world tour, right? Yeah. So like, I don't know. Like, I I love the promise, but I have a strong, I won't say hate, a strong dislike towards the fact that the Earth King has returned. Like this would have been because wasn't it June was put in place by Azula when she left. So like, what if June resumed or kept on doing like, I can see June being a little hard headed and stubborn about something. Not June. You mean Judy? Judy. Sorry. So Judy was put in place by Azula. So I would be like a little more comfortable with it. Maybe like, oh, Judy, you kind of know what you're doing here. Just like take over for a bit. Earth King Kue and Bosco were just like, we're done with the royal life. We want to live amongst the people. And they walked off into the sunset. And I like mm-hmm. that ending for them. 
And it feels weird that they're back and that they could find them again. So they were just wandering the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. A very large kingdom to be wandering to find so quickly. Yeah, I know. I'm on the fence too about that. Like, it feels like an unfinished storyline to not know what brought him back. What did he learn? How has his viewpoint changed and this and that? Because I guess like without knowing, you can see it from two sides, right? He traveled the world. He saw a lot of different cultures, a lot of different ways of living, met normal people and formed a more well-rounded worldview that would support his understanding of mixed culture city like Yudao. Yeah. Or all the things that he saw in the world just further cemented his mental division of there are separate nations. There's my land. There's the Fire Nation's land. There are my citizens. There are the Fire Nation citizens. And all of us should be separate. Like without knowing that, without knowing what he's learned and how he came back, it's kind of like... Why are I don't you know. The it way feels unfinished are. to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, why are you the way you are? <laughs> I think you're right. I think they should have had like a little prologue that just quickly in three or four pages detailed what Kue saw on his journeys and why he came back and how he came back. Yep. Something. Or even like if that's too much to fit into four pages, give us an issue. Not like a full hundred and something. Give us like 20 pages. Something. Yeah. Or, you know, going back to our ideas for the new Avatar Studios content, we can have a little mini series with him and Bosco touring the world. The Adventures of Kue and Bosco. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I would still watch that. I would absolutely watch that. And uh, speaking of Bosco, there is this really cute in the background thing that's happening. Every time Momo and Bosco meet, Momo tries to steal Bosco's hat. So you can see in the background them kind of like scuffling back and forth you can. trying to get his hat. Yeah. And Bosco like holds it at one point and just glares at Momo who's flying over him. <laughs> yeah. So cute. Yeah. Back at Toph's Metal Bending Academy, Sokka takes the students out to the woods and sets up a Team Beifong bonding campfire. Hotan and the Dark One complain about the outdoors while Panga clings to Sokka's side next to the romantic campfire. The Dark One asks where Sifu Toph is, and Sokka shrugs it off, saying she's doing Sifu-ish things. He changes the subject to the banner of the flying boar that was burned in the school the other day. He asks if the students know that the banner was put up to placate the winged boar spirit that haunts that mountain. When they're startled and confused by this, Sokka continues, saying, The winged boar spirit, the ancient harbinger of doom and eater of fine footwear. (laughs) All one swoop. (laughs) Just... All the fears. Hit one all sport. of their fears. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> At that moment, a giant metal boar emerges from the forest with a pile of shoes in one hand. It begins <laughs> eating Panga's shoes as she stares on in horror. Hotan faints nearby, overwhelmed by the doom. The Dark One is the only one unfazed and even calls out to the boar, saying he knows it's Sifu Toph in there. Toph peeks out of the chest plate and compliments the Dark One's perceptiveness, but then says... Or should I say Moochie Gucci La Pucci, the third. The third. <laughs> the third. There are two other people in his family oh, named that. No. The dark one pales and sinks to his knees, claiming that by uttering that name, Toph has lodged a splinter in his soul. That's such the way I'm reading it is such an anime delivery of that line, too. Like in that like uh-huh. dark, edgy, by uttering that name, you've lodged a splinter into my soul. Exactly. <laughs> Very accurate. Yep. It's so good. I love, I love the writing. I love the Dark One's writing more specifically. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. I also love how like they're not even trying to hide the fact that it's tough. They use her family's animal, spirit animal, 
as mm-hmm. like the inspiration for this. And I don't know, I thought it was just cute where there's like, yeah, let's just make it Toph's family crest. Why not? Maybe they'll not know. Yeah. It's actually like a really good setup, right? Because mm. campfire stories and ghost stories are usually about the mundane things, the yeah. everyday things. So this banner with Toph's family's boar crest is very familiar to them. Yeah. And so you can spin this ghost story out of it. And I love that how just dramatic this whole scene is. It's obviously a setup. It's like, why are we outside? Why is there a campfire? What the heck is this bonding <laughs> concept? And then it's like, ho, oh, ho, ho, but have you heard of the winged boar spirits? They should have brought Katara. That's <laughs> what they should have done. Katara is a much better storyteller for ghost stories. Yeah, right. Yep. Well, at this point, they're all succumbing to their fears. That's true. Penga is like frothing at the mouth, sobbing because her shoes are being eaten. Hotan's on the ground, like frozen in place, like petrified by the doom. And then at this point, also the dark one is in like a fetal position on the ground, (laughs) sobbing as well. And Sokka is still really trying his best to get them to be metal benders. So once again, he flings these metal coins into the clearing and saying, let's metal bend team Beifong. But the coins drop to the dirt as all three students are still lying on the ground, traumatized. I think they overdid it. I think it's a little (laughs) little overdone. A little. Just a little. There's a line there. They went over (laughs) it quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But, you know, maybe we're making progress. Who knows? We got like, what, one day left to really figure this out? Yeah, they'll get it. I'm sure. 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 Yeah. Sokka's the best man for the job, obviously, being a a non-bender as himself. a motivational bender, excuse you. (laughs) Being a motivation bender, as well as a sword bender, except he doesn't have a sword anymore. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that kind of affects his credibility a little Mm -hmm. bit. Uh, As Sokka's representative on the podcast, uh, I am going to (laughs) decline comment. (laughs) Fine. Noted. (laughs) Moving on. Aang, Katara, and Momo have dinner while Earth King Kue ponders their situation. He returns and thanks them for their time, but when Aang asks when they should set up their meeting with Fire Lord Zuko, King Kue tells the young Avatar that he won't like what the king has to say. King Kue tells Aang and Katara that all his life he's been weak. So weak, in fact, that his most trusted advisor was able to hide a hundred years' war from him. He's tired of being weak, and he won't stand for any more lies. If Fire Lord Zuko won't honor the promise he made of seeing the Harmony Restoration movement through to the end, then the Earth King will have no choice but to enforce Harmony through his Earth Kingdom troops. Aang and Katar are horrified and plead for him to reconsider. If he sends his army there, it will be seen by the Fire Nation as a declaration of war. But the king is unmoved. He says that if the Fire Nation residents of Yudao do not leave his kingdom peacefully, they will face the most dire of consequences. And if Avatar Aang is not with him in this decision, then he is against him. If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Calm down there, Anakin. Calm down. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Exactly. More Star Wars than our Avatar. (laughs) More Star Wars. I love it. Yeah. I think this would be the perfect time actually to inform us a little bit more about how King Kuei returned to the Earth Kingdom. Because while I understand what they're saying here about how he has always been a weak ruler because he hasn't been actually in charge of the crown and yeah. his country, I also like, I don't know, I feel like it's it's kind of a thin explanation. I feel like we could have dug a little deeper there. What are, what are your thoughts? It's not even an explanation. It's like 
he knew he was a weak ruler when we saw him last and he decided to go live amongst his people. We still need to know what he saw amongst his people made him this angry. He was Mm -hmm. not an angry individual when we left him. He was always the opposite. He was very naive and always good spirits as far as at least I could tell. And now he's like very black and white. It's my way or the highway, you know, enforce harmony. Like he's very like stern and you have to go through something very traumatic to get this kind of like this different from what you were over such a yeah. short amount of time too. like, if this happened, this is a year. This is one year after the events of book three. If he was beaten down every day while traveling through a year, I could understand this, but that's just unrealistic. That's just not going to happen. Like they're going to be, even if you want to go on the heavier end, they're going to be probably weeks at a time where he's not being taken advantage of or anything like that. I just want to know how he got this way. He's very different Mm -hmm. than what he was. If they kept Wang Fang in charge, I could see that. I could see him being very much this way. He's actually kind of acting a bit like Wang Fang. Yeah, I think it's interesting that he he also is talking about weakness. Yeah. Because before, you're right, he was very naive and very trusting. And a lot of what we saw of him from the animated series was him going like, oh my goodness, there are these aspects of the world that I didn't realize. Oh my, what shall I do now? Versus... Being like, I was weak, so now I will be strong. I will crush my foes with my army. Like, it just feels a little extreme, I guess. And granted, like, different people respond differently to trauma. So, like, you know, it's possible that he saw something terrible and it just completely shaped how he is. But something that incredible, and I don't use that term as, like, incredibly great. I mean, it's just, like, that earth-shattering. There's your other pun. You're welcome. That happened (laughs) that completely left him devastated. One would think we as viewers or as readers would see that because it's important because it's affecting now what could be the next 100 year war. Mm -hmm. And we don't see it. Yeah. It's weird. And even if it wasn't something like particularly traumatic to him, I could see an explanation for this being something that came from his people. Like maybe all the people that he met in his travels were traumatized by the Fire Nation and being there. And so they were pleading him as their king please protect us. Please get them out of our country. This is how it's affected my life. I've lost my business. I've lost my family. I've lost my home, blah, blah, blah. Like I could see him trying to do what's right for his people because of his time spent with them. And so he's just trying to do the right thing and like, you know, protect his country. Mm -hmm. But without having seen that, with it all being implied, I'm like, I'm guessing. Not even a real mention of it. Yeah. Give me a panel right here. Split this panel in two. Boom. Second panel. I lived amongst my people and they were devastated. I don't know why I'm (laughs) sounding like the dark one right now, but you know, something like that. And they were devastated. I saw all this horror that happened amongst my people. And I realized that my weakness as a leader has caused this to happen. It would never happen again. Boom. I did it for you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Something. Yeah, there we go. But you know, with all that being said, yes. And I really enjoyed that little discourse there. That's maybe what our first critique of this comic, which is amazing. I love this comic. This is like the only note that I have is just what happened to this guy. Show me it. Everything mm-hmm. else, I love this comic. It's making me it's making me feel like the old Avatar, in, even in that way where we had critiques about the animated series. Like, mm-hmm. we love it. We don't think it's flawless by any means, but it's amazing. It's great. We love, we obviously love it because we are now 60 plus episodes in, I think, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So clearly we like it, but it's it's not perfect. And neither is this. I know I get super passionate when I don't like something. I understand that. Don't make my tone think I don't enjoy this, any of the promise, because I love 99.9% of it, mm-hmm. as does Acorn. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's easy to critique something that already exists. Yes. But also we recognize that nothing's going to be perfect. And we're just sharing our thoughts about how it could have been better. Yeah, let's move on because I'm going to talk about it again for another 20 minutes. <laughs> uh-huh. I think what this is really saying is we're really ready for an Earth King Kuei and Bosco side story. Yes, the adventures of Kuei and Bosco. <laughs> yep. Oh, wait, hold, on, hold, on, hold on. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Kuei, Bosco, and the unbearable adventure. <gasps> got it. Gold. There Brilliant. We go. You're welcome. Avatar Studios, <laughs> go. Go. <laughs> That is the best title. Maybe in like, uh, what, five years? You might get it? Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, but for now, we're going to hop back over to Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy, where it is the eve before the face-off with Master Kunio and his students. Sokka is still trying to come up with ideas that will help Toph's students learn metal bending, but Toph is done trying. She asks Sokka if he ever thinks about metal. He admits that when he has extra thinking time, he usually spends it thinking about food, meat specifically. But Toph explains that metal is just earth that's been purified and refined by getting heated, melted, and pounded. Basically, by going through pressure and pain, just like she did when she lived under her parents' expectations. She discovered metal bending while confined in a tiny metal cell when she was taken by Master Yu and Shin Fu when she was thinking about how her parents expected her to be something that she wasn't. In her eyes, she's doing the same thing to her students. She expected them to turn into metal benders by making them tough enough to move the most stubborn part of the most stubborn element. She expected them to be something they're not. Unknown to Toph, Hotan, Penga, and the Dark One can hear her inside the academy where they're secretly preparing to leave. Toph ends the conversation by saying that when Master Kunio comes the next day, she's going to sit down and let him take the school back. I, gosh, I love this part. This scene might actually be my favorite part of this comic. One of my favorite parts, because hearing Toph be able to articulate how she became the way that she is and how she discovered metal bending is so good. Yeah. And I don't know if anyone else had this worry, but I had this like little panic about Master Yu and Shin Fu and if they're still in that metal box or if anyone found them. Oh, no. <laughs> I need to know. I forgot about that, that they were left there. I think everyone forgot about them, basically, (laughs) or at least everyone that's in charge over at Avatar just kind of forgot that they're in this metal box and one of them needs to pee really bad. Yep. That was my lasting image when we left that scene. Oh, wow. Someone's going to get covered in pee. Yeah. And they're not great individuals. They're not like good people by any stretch, but I don't think they deserve death. Agreed. So you know what? Because we're probably never going to get the answer from Avatar Studios or Mike and Brian, let's just come up with the headcanon here. Okay. I believe Mm -hmm. that they were traveling on a fairly busy road Mm -hmm. and maybe like an hour or so later, someone would have come down. They would have heard them, shouted, hello, help, please get us out of here. It might have taken the rest of the day for someone to go find like the tools necessary to open a metal cell (laughs) to free them. But I think it probably didn't take more than like a couple hours to get them out. I wonder if Combustion Man found them. Ooh, interesting. I don't know. I just like, I like to think he did because I miss Combustion Man as well, even though he's definitely dead. Because he was such a cool like foil, but that might be too late now I'm thinking about it. I can't remember when he expired, 
Yeah. <laughs> but I think it might have been before that. I don't, I don't even think no, he was after, hired it was until... After. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. well, I well, I I agree with your headcanon. I think someone found them and got them out and they just like, yeah, they got mild. One of them got mildly peed on, if not both of them. <laughs> yeah, mildly, though. I think so. Yeah. yeah. But still. There we go. Solved. I, I forgot about them until she was recounting like how she learned metal bending. And I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. those poor guys, those poor, evil, terrible people. <laughs> I still feel bad yep. for them. <laughs> I also think that if they, when they got freed, they would have been so affected by being peed on and being wrapped in a metal casket by a girl who should have only been an earthbender that they're mm-hmm. like, we're done. That's it. I don't care how much money they throw at us. We're done. We're not dealing with her again. Master Yu is just going back to his mall earthbending academy. <laughs> yep. His strip mall his earthbending strip mall. academy. And he's just going to live the rest of his days there and forget everything. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, but like all that aside, I think it's really cool to hear Toph reflect and talk about herself and her experiences and how she got to where she is. Because like out of the group, Toph really isn't the kind of person to talk about herself very much. She's very just cut and dry. Let's move on. But this was really cool to get some insight into her like perspective. Yeah, Toph is very much a live in the moment kind of person. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we had time to really stop and think about that or even note that until this is... The first time, like you said, where we're hearing her talk about her past, I don't think she thinks about her past all that much. Or this is the second time. I think before she referenced how she reminded everyone that she came from like money and stuff like that, but she doesn't do it often. Whereas mm-hmm. some people like Aang basically live in the past and they, whenever they have a, a moment, well, I shouldn't say live in the past. I think he likes to vacation in the past. Mm-hmm. Keeping the past alive in yeah. his memory. Yeah. yeah. Where Toph doesn't really want anything to do with that. She just wants to keep on pushing forward. And that's why it makes me wonder. I don't know about you, but that little scene, that conversation between her and Sokka feels very breaky to me. Yeah. Like, yeah, I kind of feel in my head canon that when Yang had a conversation about this comic with Mike and Brian, this came up. I would like to think that Mike and Brian had something like this written out already for her that that was the inspiration behind her learning metal bending because they took those obvious allusions to to metal and how metal is formed mm. and linked it to her past yes. of going through pressure and pain as a young person. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. So good. So I would love to know the story behind that. Mike and Brian, if you're ever listening, write to us. Yes. Let us know some fun behind the scenes things because personally, I, I think that uh, seems to have your signature on it. Yes. Avatar the podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Across the continent, Aang and Katara race to get back to Yudao. Aang calls Appa and the two benders hop on, talking through their plan. Aang says that hopefully they can convince the Fire Nation colonists to evacuate before the Earth Kingdom army shows up. But Katara reminds him that they'll be asking people to leave their homes, maybe even their families. What happens if they refuse to go? Aang says that the Earth King was right about Zuko breaking his promise. Promises should never be broken. As they fly away, Yi Li releases a messenger hawk into the sky with a message for her sisters in the Yu Dao chapter of the Avatar Aang fan club. The Avatar needs their help. The next morning, Master Kunio arrives with his students. He's still wearing the spear that Toph bent around his head, except now each side of it sports a patriotic Fire Nation flag. He demands to know where <laughs> Fire so good. <laughs> It's, it's, she just looks so hammy, even more idiotic. Like he obviously could not get this off. So now he's trying to play it off. It's so uh-huh. it's brilliant. It's perfect. I love it. Yep. Totally intentional. Yep. 
He demands to know where top students are, but she doesn't know. It doesn't matter anyway. Kunyu can take back the school. She will be the first to sit. But as she's sinking to the ground, her students rush in. Hotun shouts for her not to sit down, and his urgency causes one of the metal coins to break free from its bamboo stand and ricochet into Toph's behind. Their celebration is short-lived, however, when Master Kunyo orders his students to attack. Flame begins to engulf Toph's students, but at that moment, Sokka rushes in and throws metal coins at them. Come on, Team Beifong, let's metal bend! <laughs> Hotun, Panga, and the Dark One are all able to bend the metal coins at the opposing students, successfully knocking their bending off balance and forcing them to defend themselves. Soon enough, the metal coins become heated by their fire bending and they're forced to stop. Finally, the new metal benders bend the coins at Master Kunio with such force that they knock him onto his butt. With the official sit, the match is won. Well done. Well done. Well done. Wow. He was a little dicey there for a minute. Was Toph was almost to the ground, and I love that part where she gets hit by the metal coin, and she just stops and goes, "Hotan, did you just, <laughs> did you just metal bent? Did you see the panel with the dark one and how edgy he looks, metal bending? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just so serious. Talking like, about an anime influence, he's just like, hmm, I hate that it took us this long to figure it out. It's just like I love that line." Oh, I love the dark one. He's just too edgy for his own good. Mm-hmm. He's so angular in his design too, which has got to be on purpose. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Straight, pointy yep. nose, yep. pointy chin. So yeah. Good. Something else I love about this scene is the concept of the fire heating up the coins yeah. and almost being like used against the firebenders. It reminds me of just the concept of rock, paper, scissors and how there's always something that's going to have the upper hand on another thing. It just adds this like sense of realism to the story because while fire might be stronger than earth, metal is stronger than fire. So it's this give and take, this like upper hand. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I I like that this subsect of bending or the sub bending of earth bending allows it to topple fire bending, which now means we talk about balance a lot, especially Mm -hmm. in this book and Avatar in general. And now that means that according to the universe, something that fire bending does will make it more powerful against water bending to kind of even it out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess that would be lightning, wouldn't it? Uh, Yeah, actually. Lightning is because electricity is conducted through water. So it already happened. So this is the balance to that. Oh, I see what you're doing here. I see. I get you. It took me a minute, but I got caught up. (laughs) So good. Really good. Outside, Sokka tells the students how proud he is of them. Panga breaks up with him for Hotun. And the dark one tells Toph that they overheard what she said about them last night. No one has ever believed in them until Toph. Hotun's always been expected to be a wimp. Panga, a spoiled brat. And the dark one, a tall, dark, mysterious hunk. No one's expecting that out of you, dark one. I hate to burst this bubble. (laughs) Wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Toph is the first person to believe that they could become more than what they were. Toph turns to wipe away a tear, then spins back around and with a grin, orders them to get back to practice. They're not metal bending masters yet. Yay. And this, friends, sets up Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy, the comic. Yes. And again, the reason why we didn't read it yet is because it doesn't happen chronologically before the promise. And mm-hmm. I was quite confused when I was reading it. And I was like, who are these three? What, what is, why is this one called the dark one? 
what is this? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of name is that? We didn't even get an introduction. Well, it's because they were introduced here. Yes. Well, we still don't know why he's called the Dark One. I feel like that's just the name. He, or it is the name he gave himself because oh, he doesn't absolutely. like his real name. Eugene. Uh-huh. I mean, not Eugene. It's going to always be <laughs> Eugene to me. Yep. So good. <laughs> so good. I love this cast. I cannot wait to get to Toph's Metal Bending Academy. It's going to be so... like Now that we know who these characters are, it's going to be so good. I can't wait. Yeah, I know. Me too. But we still have a bit of a ways, I think, before we can cover it. Yes, it is after the rift. So we're going to be covering... We're in the prom... Halfway through the promise right now. Then the search. Then the rift. And then... Toph Beifong's Metal Ending Academy. Awesome. Can't wait. It's going to be a nice reminder, I think, of these characters. It will. Yes. All right. We're almost to the end. In the Fire Nation, Zuko stands on his royal throne. He goads the wall of fire before him into greater heights than size. This isn't me, he says to himself. He extinguishes the fire and finds Mei standing before him. She tells Zuko that she knows he's been meeting with Ozai in secret. Hurt that he didn't tell her and instead kept it as one more secret between them, she tells Zuko that he'll have an easier time keeping his secrets alone. She's breaking up with him. Again? Zuko is startled. This is the first time. Oh, yeah. No, not really. They kind of broke up in Boiling Rock. Kind of. Okay, yeah. No, they did. They did. But this is where they broke up. And then afterwards, we got that comic in The Lost Adventures where she was working in a flower shop and she met that guy, went on a date, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I think this is that time period. Okay. That makes sense. Zuko is startled by this and she tells him somberly, goodbye, Fire Lord. Zuko shouts after her to come back, even ordering her to, but she leaves. Suki appears by his side and apologizes for things turning out the way they did. When she asked Mei to talk to Zuko about his father, she had no idea this would happen. She tells Zuko that she and the Kyoshi warriors are really worried about him and that they just wanted to help. Before Zuko can say anything, one of his generals enters the throne room. He reports that a message has arrived from the spies Zuko sent to the Earth Kingdom. Zuko's suspicions are confirmed. The Earth King's army marches towards Yudao. Zuko, shocked, whispers that his father was right. No! Mm. Don't prove Ozai right, Kue. This is the opposite of what we all want. Kue, what happened to you? Why are you the way you are now? Tell me. <laughs> Kue? You had one job, to be a bumbling <laughs> idiot. Across the world, Earth King Kue leads his troops through a mountain pass from aboard an Earth Kingdom air balloon. He stares into the distance, determined to prove himself and make the Fire Nation obey his commands. Unknown to him, Fire Lord Zuko has set sail from the Fire Nation with his fleet of ships, equally as determined to stop him. The end. Earth King Kue, more like Earth King Krule. Earth King Boo-A. Boo-A. Boo. Boo. I dislike you now, sir. What a ride. Things are heating up. They absolutely are. I cannot wait talk about book three but we're gonna have to because we we do is good things come to those who wait as or so i'm told mm-hmm. this second book has just been like building and building and building and there was no real stop i think the only reprieve we got was with the metal bending academy and how there was mm-hmm. some resolution there which yeah i don't know about you but i felt like i could breathe a little bit during there because it was just like non-stop things are just happening mm-hmm. wow and Part three is going to be very exciting because all of these threads are going to come to a head. We're going to have the fight of Yudao. We're going to have the appearance of the sister chapter. 
of the Avatar Aang fan club in Udal because we saw that message go away. Yes, right. With a messenger hawk. Yeah. We're going to have the Earth King appearing and Fire Lord Zuko arriving and the big clash that we've been promised for two parts now. It's going to yes. be an exciting time. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And with that, we come to the end of today's episode. Greg, I have to know, mm-hmm. who is your MVP of part two of The Promise? I think my MVP, I can tell you who is not my MVP of The Promise. <laughs> Who's that? Kue? It's Earth King Kue. I hate, <laughs> forget him. I dislike that individual right now. Uh-huh. I'm going to take a moment and I'm going to choose my favorite character in this book and not necessarily the one that like kind of moved the plot along or anything. Because if we're talking about moving the plot along, it's either Aang or Zuko because they're just Mm -hmm. inching closer and closer again to one another. But I want to recognize the Dark One for being the unwittingly hilarious (laughs) portion of this book for me personally. Oh, my gosh. Yep. He just takes himself so seriously that it's hilarious because like I remember kind of being that way when I was like 13 years old and thinking everything was so serious and blah, blah, blah. And like it's so Zuko-esque. And it's just it's just funny to see it, to take a step back and to see someone being that way. So for me, it's the dark one. Awesome. I for a second thought you were going to pick Sokka because you said your favorite character. But I now see the connection between the dark one and Sokka. And obviously the dark one is one of your new favorite characters. Yes. I and, love and plus, it. I I've given Sokka it. MVP so many times. So many times. I'm not going to like... Have. This is true. I want to give someone, someone else the spotlight right now. Well, it's funny because I think Sokka is my MVP. Oh, really? Yeah, because yes, we have a lot of stuff going on in the world. A lot of the storyline has been built up. But Sokka, meanwhile, has made a big difference at the Toph Beifong's Metal Bending Academy. He, through his actions and his support and his motivational bending, was able to help Toph students learn metal bending, which, if you think about it, is the start of Toph's legacy. Yes. These are her first metal bending students, and they have just now successfully metal bended. Metal bent, whatever the word is. So I give it to Sokka. He's the MVP. He, we now know, played a huge part in Toph's metal bending legacy. And for that, I think he he deserves it. As the official representative of Sokka in Avatar the podcast, uh, we'd like to thank you <laughs> for your words. For the recognition. For the recognition. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. What about the moral of the issue? This one is tough. Because I don't don't think there is like a real, well, I was going to say, I don't think there really is like a stated moral, but I think there is with the, the B plot of Toph Beifang's Metal Bending Academy. And it's that your past is a tool that you can use to forge your future. If I want to be poetic about it. Yep. That's where my brain was going to. We could also say like, don't be like Earth King Kuwait, but that's kind of a a bad moral. (laughs) So let's go with. Let's keep it positive (laughs) because... All my brain is consumed with just a deep disliking of Earth King Kuei right now. <laughs> Probably unjustified, but that's what happens. It yes. happens with brains. It's true. Um, but yes, I think you're right. I think a lot of, and I mean, this is something that we see throughout the whole series, right? Because all of the past of the characters inform their present and then inform their future. Yeah. So being able to see how Toph has taken her pain and pressure from her past and used it to create metal bending and then by extension helped other people in her life learn more about themselves and reach this new plateau of like 
ability. Like that, that's really cool. I think that's a good thing to keep in mind that no matter how bad the things are that happened to you in the past, they have made you who you are and you can decide to use that as fuel. What is it that Sokka said? His uh, headband, add fuel. Oh yeah, yeah. Add fuel. <laughs> add the fuel of your past. Yes. I should note that I don't dislike Earth King Kue. I dislike how all of a sudden he's edgy. Agreed. Or he's all of a sudden just like very stubborn when he w- was not shown that way before. Just disclaimering that. I understand mm-hmm. where he's coming from. If I were a king and this was kind of developing, I'd probably act in a very similar fashion. It just seems uncharacteristic. And I just dislike that. There's no explanation for it. That's it. That's all I'm going to say about Earth King Kue until the next recording. And then hopefully mm-hmm. never again, because I'm sick of the guy. I mean, the depiction <laughs> of the guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Disclaimer established. Yes. Well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for coming on this comic journey with us. As we've said multiple times at this point, we cannot wait to get to part three of The Promise when all of this comes to a head. And we also can't wait to continue this journey through the rest of the comics, which have been so good so far. I have many things to say about part three. I have read it. Oh my God, my heart, my feelings. So look forward to that. In the meantime, though, where can they find you, Greg? Yeah, you could find me Monday and Friday evenings guaranteed at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over at twitch.tv slash Booster Greg. Currently, uh, we are making our way through the Darksiders series and I am having a blast with it. It is very Zelda-esque, very World of Warcraft slash League of Legends art style because it's my favorite comic artist, Joe Mad, who I can never pronounce his last name, so I've just given up on it. But he is just so cool. He's very like, very stylistic, very anime inspired. It's just a blast. So if, if that seems like something you'd be into, come on down. Uh, sometimes on Thursdays as well. You can also find me on Twitter. A bunch of people found me on Instagram all of a sudden. My Instagram blew up and I haven't put anything in there since I told everyone there's only dog pictures there. So maybe that's <laughs> what my Instagram is just going to be from now on. Just dog pictures. Who knows? Basically, if it's on the internet and it says Booster Greg, it is probably me. So come say hi. Until you have an imposter. Until I have an imposter. I had an imposter Twitch account. That was fun. Ooh. That was fun. I feel like I made it. it made yeah. It. That was it. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. And you can find me similarly online at Acorn Bandit on Twitter. And I think I'm technically Joyson Studio on Instagram, but that is the other place you can find me joysans.com. That's J-O-I-S-A-N-S.com where I have my enamel pins posted and we have been getting a lot of people buying our avatar pins. So for that, thank you so much. Thank you. We're happy that you enjoy the Appa and the Toph pins. We have said it before. We do plan on doing a book three pin. It's just gotten away from us. And I kind of feel like we're just in this period where it's like book three extended. We're in the comics. I don't think we plan on making an enamel pin for the comics. So book three is coming. It'll be be the finale pin. The Teen Avatar finale pin. I think it's also us just in denial that the animated series is over. I I can't believe it either. I'm just... (laughs) It's, it just makes me feel so sad. I know. I know. So we're going to hold on. It's going to come eventually, but, you know, not yet. Yes. Coming up next time. The conclusion of the first comic arc, which is The Promise Part 3. So everyone, be sure to get your reading on so you can join us right when the episode goes live. That's right. See you next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast.
Avatar, the podcast, is a proud part of the Geek Generation Network. Remember to check out all of our other podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.